the stuff going on. So faith comes before baptism. Then there's a, a thing called obedience. Many of us as Baptists would remember this. Jesus' last words, remember he's raised from the dead, he's resurrected, he's there with his disciples, he's speaking to them for the last time in Matthew's Gospel and he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's a command. And so why do we get baptized? Because it is a command. So whenever baptism takes place, it is actually an act of obedience to the command of Jesus. It's not an optional extra if it's a command. It's a clear command of the risen Christ. And for some believers, baptism will be really the first time where they step out in obedience to something that Jesus has said. Baptism also has got something to do with the example of Jesus Christ himself. We read this in Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. He was 30 at this stage. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And, you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized not because he had sin, but to identify with sin and take it for all mankind. Um, then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the dove came down and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Jesus was sent from this point in time into his mission on earth. So we follow Christ's example. There in the River Jordan, Jesus identified with us in our sinfulness Whereas by contrast, in our baptism, we identify ourselves with Christ in his sinlessness. So he identified with us, we identify with his sinlessness. Whatever, baptism, we submit to the Father's will. And then this one that um, we get this whole connection between baptism and the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm just giving a thumbnail here. This is why I said I could speak for this for hours. Because this is the one that Baptists miss out on so much. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Really clear there, a linkage between confession, faith, baptism and the Holy Spirit. They belong together in an initiation experience. David Pfeiffer's and Donald Bridge wrote a book well, back in the 80s or 90s, The Water That Divides, and someone's got my copy and it's hard to get hold of now. But in that, they said this, the direct equation between water baptism and the reception of the Holy Spirit cannot be stressed too strongly. They are different aspects of the one great initiation complex which includes the inward attitude of repentance and faith and the outward manner of water baptism and the declaration by God of sins forgiven and a heart renewal by the Holy Spirit. 
They went on and said, spiritual regeneration is indispensable if we would be gods. Man's nature is so gripped by sin that an activity of the very Spirit of God is necessary if he is to be associated with the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. What does Jesus say to him? You must be born again. How was he born again? The Spirit of God. Nothing else could do that. Really critical. Really, really critical as we talk about that. Now, in that that I just spoke to you about, David Pfeiffer's mentioned the idea of an initiation complex. And we know that initiation means beginning. I probably prefer to talk about um, a conversion process or a conversion experience. And when baptism's talked about in the New Testament, almost invariably it's talked about with the newly converted in view. They've just come to faith, just confessed their sins, just come to faith. And baptism itself seems to be included in the New Testament as part of the conversion experience. So I want you to keep this really in mind clearly when you think about um, baptism it's an experience confession or repentance turning away faith in the Lord Jesus Christ all who he is and what he's done baptism itself and the Holy Spirit those four in the New Testament belong together as an initiation experience that's how it seems to me, and that's how Acts 2.38 is, and it's easy to read the whole book of Acts if you keep that in mind. But in Baptist circles, there's often a period of time between the confession of faith in Jesus and water baptism. It can be months, it can be years that it might happen, and I think that means we have a misunderstanding about the place of baptism in the life of the believer. It's an initiation experience that goes on. It's almost as if we're saying, well, yeah, you got faith in Jesus. Now I'm going to watch you for a few years and see if you're worthy to be baptized. Utter rubbish. That is not the gospel. Remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Ethiopian eunuch's in his chariot. Philip comes along in the Spirit of God, sits with him and says, what are you reading? Oh, I'm reading Isaiah 53, but I don't get it. Don't understand it. Philip says, let me tell you all about it. Philip tells him all about it, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, I believe. Got it, mate. And as they're hopping along in their chariot, eunuch looks at, hey, look at the water over there, he says. Can I get baptized? Bang, yeah, let's do it, mate. Right there on the spot. Believed, baptized. There was faith straight away baptized it seems to me that sometimes we as baptists don't treat baptism as an important event but it seems to me the new testament says it's part of this complex and it's important oh, i'll get around to it sometime i do agree we don't need to be baptized to have salvation that is by faith and faith alone but it seems to me the New Testament includes this in this complex of initiation. And what I've discovered in, in talking with people who've been baptised and on their journey, often nobody has told them about the place of the Holy Spirit. 
in their life, in their conversion experience and in their ongoing life. And I, I think that's really sad. I don't know what Baptists are scared of when it comes to the Spirit of God. I'm not really sure. But I always say to a baptismal candidate, particularly, or I do to anyone, is expect God to do something with you today and in the days going on ahead because the Spirit of God's really active here. I don't know, you're all, some of you out there are baptised. I wonder if anybody ever talked to you about the place of the Holy Spirit in this process and in your initiation into faith. It's really sad to me if it hasn't happened. So there's the dot point outline. Keep that uh, in mind. And now I want to turn to <coughs> the story that we, or the scripture reading we had from Romans 6. There was this bloke who was visiting Las Vegas and he phoned the pastor of a local church to find out the time of the service on Sunday morning. The pastor was really impressed and said, most people who come to Las Vegas don't do so to come to church. Uh, I'm not really coming for the church. I'm coming for the gambling, the parties, the wild women. And if I have half as much fun as I intend to, I'll need a church come Sunday morning. Paul said in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The trumps it. If you play cards, grace trumps sin. Beats it every time. This much sin, well, grace trumps it. So why not be like this punter in Las Vegas? Don't worry about the sin because there is the aggressive forgiveness of grace to follow. Sin, grace. Sin, grace. Sin, little one, grace. That's what that punter was thinking. So why not be like him? So Paul logically then asked the question that started our reading. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase in his book what's so amazing about grace author philip yancey writes about a friend who invited him out for a cup of coffee and the friend it turns out is about to leave his wife of 15 years for someone prettier someone younger and someone who makes him feel more alive he had a good relationship with his wife he just simply wanted a change Yancey's friend knows the personal and moral consequences of what he was about to do, the damage he would inflict on his wife and his three children. And finally, he spits out the question he wants to ask Yancey. Do you think God can forgive something as awful as I am about to do? Do you keep on sinning so that God's grace can trumpet? The answer to that question, says Paul, is, oh, by no means. No. Certainly not. That is a terrible thought. So why does Paul say, by no means? In fact, in the King James Version, it says, God forbid it. It's because of what we read. Now, we just need to know four words this morning. 
that I bet didn't get told. May, may, may. We died to sin. It's what the whole baptism event's about. We, we is those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first five chapters of Romans, Paul's been building up to this point, the way you're saved and justified is by faith and faith alone. We who have faith have died to Christ, died to sin. That's why we don't go, well, it doesn't matter because grace double trumps it. Because we've actually died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, here we go. Or don't you know that all of us were baptized, water baptized, into Jesus Christ? Were baptized into his death. You see why I could get really excited about preaching on baptism for a long while. It's not just a symbol. The conversion complex is not just a symbol. There is a reality. We died of sin. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I want to, want to suggest to you that each day when you wake up, you stop and write out those four words, I've, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, I have died to sin, and sit there and think about it. And then when you finish thinking about it, write the words, I have a new life. <laughs> this, is a, this is really the guts of the gospel. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer back in the 1500s, out of Martin Luther came the Lutheran stream, but more particularly the Protestant stream, broke away from the Catholic Church. And he said this, There is no, there is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. There is no greater comfort than baptism. Luther was famous for fighting against sin and against Satan by preaching to himself, I am baptized. I am baptized. Crawl under your baptism. Why was he saying that? Because he died to sin when he was initiated into the Christian faith. That's why. So when he's fighting sin and Satan, he says, it's one, it's one, it's one, I'm being baptized. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Now, Luther was not claiming to be saved simply because he was baptized. You know, the water's magical and it just does everything for you. What comes before baptism? Faith. Rightly, rather, he rightly perceived the wonder and the power and the glory of baptism. That's what I'm trying to raise here this morning. The incredible wonder and power and glory of baptism held in its initiation complex. He saw the visible external act of baptism as an objective, something outside, pointing to the internal, invisible reality of new birth and faith through which we are saved on the basis of Christ alone. 
Luther was, after all, the great champion of justification by faith, as was Paul as he wrote these words in Romans. But he was also captivated by the wonder of baptism and the glory of baptism in this. I mentioned the conversion process earlier, repentance, faith, baptism, and the Holy Spirit. And it seems to me that when Paul is talking here in the New Testament, uses this word baptism like this. It's used as a shorthand to apply to the whole conversion experience. So when you read baptism in Romans 6, put those four factors in it. That's what's going on. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff that goes on in our experience. Baptism is the moment when we identify ourselves with the Christ who died and rose for us. As we go under the water, we are buried with Christ and in being buried with Christ we become united with him in a death that is his I can't find other words and that is such a powerful thing through baptism we enter into the reality of the death and burial of Jesus keep in mind the baptism complex please and having shared in his death we then share in his resurrection too as we come out of the water, we share in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. We are not so much given a new start in life as we are actually given a new life to start with. This is, this is really powerful stuff. So baptism is more than just a mere act of obedience. Obedience it is. It's more than a mere symbol. It points to reality in the inner life. I'd want to say that about communion too. I won't get started there this morning either. It's also a moment of total surrender to Christ. In the water, we also express our resolve to die to self and live for Christ alone. If the truth be told, many if not most new Christians have little idea at the time of their baptism of the full implications of the Lordship of Christ on their lives. They just don't understand it. But I want to tell you that doesn't matter. It didn't matter to the Ethiopian eunuch, did he? It did it. He said, there's some water. Let's do it. Let's do it. I've marveled again this week as I've trawled right through the scriptures to just try and put something briefly down for a few moments this morning at what baptism is all about and I've grown just that much more in my understanding of my own baptism my own initiation complex of repentance and faith and baptism and the spirit of God that's what God does Mightn't completely understand it. Just do it. Because God does his thing. Now here it is. Baptism is actually God's own act. Sorry, but my experience in my own evangelical circles is that the thing we talk about most is what we do. And this passage is talking about what God does. And that's what matters. Sure, 
we make a decision. Sure, we have faith. Sure, we're obedient. Sure, we identify with Jesus. But baptism is God's own act. Even if human hands perform it, so your baptistry is under here somewhere. I better be careful. I don't step too far back. And No. Even though someone's going to stand here and push, and I don't know how long Aaron's going to hold you under, you know, when you get baptised. You might want to ask me to do it because I'm pretty quick. Um, do you know what? It's done by human hands, and it's done by a human decision. It's performed that way. But to be baptised in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to be baptised not by human hands, but by God. How do we die to sin? How do we get a new life to live with? But by God. Three times in this passage in Romans, those couple of verses we read, the word baptised is in the passive tense. What's passive mean? You're just passive and someone does it to you. Who does it to you? Our God. Our God. It's no wonder Luther went crying around when he was battling with sin. I'm baptised, I'm baptised. I've died to sin. I've got a new life to live. Let's just read it very slowly again. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's not a second shot. It's a new life. To try and wrap this up I only saw this I only read this this week from a guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones and I can't think of a better illustration that talks about this and talks about death to sin and how we live a new life than the analogy he gives of the two fields so this is from Martin Lloyd-Jones great preacher back in the 60s 70s in England he asks us to consider a typical British country scene with two fields enclosed by high rock walls. Every person begins life in one of those fields, a field ruled over by Satan and sin. We have no chance of scaling the wall and escaping the field on our own. But God in his grace, reaches down and takes us out of the Satan-dominated field and sets us down in the adjacent field on the other side of the wall. That's a field ruled by Christ and his righteousness. A decisive change in our position has taken place. We are in a whole new relationship to sin. However, as Lloyd-Jones points out, we can still still hear Satan calling across the wall from that old field where we used to live. 
out of long habit, we sometimes still listen to his voice and obey his voice, even though we don't have to. This captures well the combination of decisive change in status along with continuing openness to sin that marks Paul's teaching. And I want to extend this illustration. We overcome sin by moving further and further away from the dividing wall so that the voice of Jesus the voice of Satan grows fainter as the voice of Jesus grows stronger baptized yet let's have a chat let's pray Father, as with those communion elements, so baptism really does point us to something that's very real and very deep that you do within us as we die to sin and come alive, given a new life, Father, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that you keep growing me into that experience. Thank you that you keep growing others here who have faith and trust in you and who've been baptized. You keep growing us into the depth and the wonder of that experience. We died to sin. Raised with a new life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way that it's expressed this way. Thank you for the work that you do in our lives when we confess, when we say, yes, we trust in you, Jesus Christ, and all that you've done for us, when we're baptized and as the Holy Spirit works in us in that, we thank you for all that is ours. So, Father, we're not going to go on sinning just to so we can watch sin trump, watch grace trump sin. We're going to move further away from the wall and listening to the beckoning voice of Jesus as we move forward and as we experience more of the new life we have in Christ. Thank you for your abundant grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.